It's 2022, which marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's very first single, Everybody, in 1982. Last August, it was announced that her albums would be re-released with new versions curated by Madonna herself. What does that mean? Well, here on Inside the Groove, we're working through each of her albums one by one to tell the story of how they were recorded, written and produced, along with the iconic photography and graphic design. Hard Candy is Madonna's 11th studio album and was released on 19th of April 2008, marking her final album of original material for Warners. It is a temple in Madonna's career, it's both the end of one era and the dawn of another. Heralded by the single Four Minutes, the album reached number one in pretty much every territory where it was released and was never lower than top five. Though as of 2011, its worldwide sales of a mere four million are quite low, certainly by Madonna's standards. Produced by Danger, The Neptunes, Timberlake and Timberland, the album's sound was a departure from the disco-flavoured confessions on a dance floor, with Madonna turning to a more R&B-influenced sound and discarding the European sensibilities of her four previous releases. As well as the lead track, the album boasts the singles Give It To Me and Mars Away, and was supported by not one, but two rounds of the Sticky and Sweet tour which supported it. I'll be listening to a number of songs that didn't make it onto the final release, as well as playing particular attention to the song Miles Away. So, for now, sit back, relax. Those three words are never enough. And they are Inside the Groove. Welcome to Inside the Groove and thanks for all of you who sent me your kind wishes about my health. I'm pleased to say that a few tests still to go. I'm really well. In fact, I'm really very well. So it's great to be back with another episode. I'm sorry you've had to wait a little longer than usual, but it's still no longer than the wait for Madonna's remix album. Who knows when that's coming? Anyway, I don't want to dwell on it because there are a lot of people who love hard candy. Four minutes may well have brought them to Madonna, so it was their jumping on point. But as you will hear from my three guests this episode, it really isn't a favourite among fans. Well, why is that? Now, this is just an opinion, of course, but I know that for many, it felt slightly retrograde after the forward-sounding album since Ray of Light. Madonna had been ahead of the curve, if not leading it, so Hard Candy's sounds very much aligned with Nelly Furtado's 2006 album Loose, and it felt like the first time in her career where she was chasing a hit. She certainly got it in the form of Four Minutes, her duet with Justin Timberlake, which earned her a final, so far, number one in the UK. But at what cost? Fortunately, the 
accompanying stick in sweet tour more than made up for it. So good that she did it twice, though this might have something to do with her divorce in between. Now, if you've listened to the episodes on Four Minutes and Give It To Me, you'll know the story of how Madonna was originally planning to record with Pet Shop Boys before moving in a new direction, and that she was particularly inspired by Tim Blake's Future Sex Love Sounds album. You may also be aware that the album's original title was Give It To Me, with a boxing match theme photoshoot, but we'll talk more about that later. But the most interesting story about Hard Candy is its journey. When you speak to fans today, they will talk about how it was such a gear change from her early work, and whether it's not just their thing, or that they feel that Madonna was following trends rather than leading, what they will mostly say is that almost 15 years later, there's a lot more affection for the album, and I personally think that's because when you strip away the production, what you're left with is Madonna. And her are so strong. It's still the person who wrote Live to Tell and Deeper and Deeper. And while the sound of the music may be more stripped back and simpler, the undeniable essence of the then 49-year-old mother from Michigan is at the heart of the LP. So I'm joined now by Lucy O'Brien. She's the author of the Madonna biography, Like an Icon. Hello, Lucy. Now, I know that you have pretty mixed feelings about this era. Is that right? So I remember um, going to see her at Wem4 of the Sticky and Sweet tour. And to be honest, I was a bit disappointed because up until that point, to my mind, she could do no wrong. It just seemed like everything she did was, oh, wow, she's done it again. Oh, wow, she's done it again. And then with Hard Candy, the Sticky and Sweet tour, there was a slight sense of anticlimax, as if she was slightly behind the trends instead of setting the trends. Yeah. And I remember it was a strange gig. You know, the sound wasn't very good. I think she, she'd she left Warner at that point. She was with Live Nation, and maybe there was some teething troubles with that kind of connection. And, and she seemed slightly distracted, you know, while she was dancing. So I suppose it felt like... I mean, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I, I've listened to Hard Candy again recently, and actually, you know, particularly the tracks that she did with Timberland and Timberlake, I think... They really have a great energy now that sort of makes more sense now. When you hear tracks like Four Minutes and Devil Wouldn't Recognise You, Miles Away, I really like those. You know, I can see how actually she had quite an interesting little songwriting thing going there with Justin Timberlake. There's a way in which they, they were quite well matched. So, yes, there, there are some things you can pick out of Hard Candy that, you know, in the way that Madonna can sometimes surprise you with her stuff, that you come back to it a few years later and you think, oh, actually, you know, I, I, can, I can hear that now in a different way and it's working in a different way. Thanks, Lucy. And if you're a fan of Lucy and her book, Like an Icon, or you want to know more about her, then she will be attending the Inside the Groove live event in London on the 21st of May. More details about that later in this episode. Madonna began working on Hard Candy long before its release in April 2008, with some reports suggesting that she had begun writing demos as far back as late 2006. Certainly, one of the main collaborators on the album, producer Timbaland, claimed in February 2007 that they were in touch. He said to MTV, I reached out to Madonna and she was already trying to find me. I'm like, she was? Hmm. It's funny, people will reach out to me and I guess I beat them to the punch sometimes. It's crazy to see how many people want to work with me. I'm still in shock. Well, by July, it appears that the album was pretty much finished, certainly on the Timberland and Timberlake front. He later said, Me and Justin did the records for the album, adding, She's great, she's got a hot album. Her album is up there with Justin's album. He went on to say that him and Justin wrote and produced ten songs for the LP, many of which will make the club jump. Ah, man, he said... 
There's this one song, we're taking it back to You Must Be My Lucky Star. Remember Ugly by Bubba Sparks? I got a beat similar to that. The hook is no words. It's just saying stuff named after coffee. All these different names for coffee is the hook. The name of the song is Lala. Well, you might be confused by that, but what's he actually referring to? It's not a song called Lala, and it's definitely not about coffee. He's referring to a song called Palatute, or possibly known as Latte, but the chorus is sung in Romani and incorporates lyrics from the song Palatute by Gogi Budello. And this is what it actually sounds like. you may be familiar with that because Madonna performed a version of the song alongside La Isla Bonita on the 7th of July 2007 when she performed as part of the Live Earth venture. Hey you, don't you give up, it's not so bad, there's still a chance for us. Hey you, just be yourself, don't be so shy, there's reasons why. Of course, the other big event from Live Earth was a charity single released by Madonna on 24th May called Hey You. Originally a free download, the song was specially composed for the charity project which was developed to raise awareness for environmental issues. Hey You would go on to also be available on the Live Earth compilation album. And it's Madonna's first solo composition since Gambler in 1985. Though it was produced alongside Pharrell Williams and apparently features guitar played by Mirwais, suggesting that its origins come from several years earlier. Well, a lack of radio play and promotion outside of the event meant that it never charted particularly high, reaching a paltry number 187 in the UK. Although it did get to number 4 in Croatia, I have no idea how or why. A short while after Live Earth, we got to hear another taster for the upcoming album, though this wasn't a planned release. In August 2007, a track leaked on the internet, and it was reported to be a collaboration between Madonna and the Neptunes called Beat Goes On. It has significantly different lyrics to the final version, which we would hear on the album's release. And we can't be sure if that was always the plan or if it happened because of the leak. 
As well as new words and melody, it would gain a rap by Kanye West, whilst the original backing track would be given to rapper Buster Rhymes. It appears as Gistro on the Fast and Furious soundtrack. Of course, much of Hard Candy was original songs developed in the studio with Madonna, but there are some examples of partly composed songs which her writers would bring and the singer would then add her own spin. A great example of this is the song Heartbeat, which was originally a demo by Pharrell. You'll recognise the song, but the lyrics and melody here are far from what we get, particularly in the verses. Any given night, catch under the light, wearing something tight, that's what hot girls do. Seems like she don't try For her it's just huge Wow Doesn't get the poppin' And if she gets Doesn't drop it And she is Doesn't yeah. Have you watchin' that? delving into another one of Hard Candy's tracks shortly, but I want to concentrate on the artwork now. I'm joined by fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price and art director Peter Falloon to discuss this release. Now, let's start as ever with the photography. Jonathan, what can you tell us about Hard Candy? Mm, so here we are again with Madonna working with Stephen Klein and art direction from Giovanni Bianco. You know, this is bold, bright, directly lit and highly digitised photography. You know, we see Madonna cut out in front of some still life imagery of boiled candy, which looks almost abstract and neon. And Madonna is quite highly contrasted in front with her pale skin and hair and these very black garments. You know, if you've listened to other episodes, you will know that I'm slightly disappointed when we get such limited imagery in the artwork for the album itself and here we see only one look from madonna really she's wearing the same outfit throughout and it's the same setup really the main thing that changes is this backdrop and there are so many other images out there from this shoot if you look at these images in particular with this candy background there are original photographs that are can be found online where she shot against a black and white, almost vintage style looking posters to replicate this idea of a sort of fighter's ring where, where she's is really embracing this idea of her being a fighter with her championship belt on. And in a way, I feel like that makes it a little more understandable what's going on. You know, you, you sort of see her in context and I can potentially understand why it wouldn't be used as the main artwork because it's um, got quite a lot of detail. You know, the posters themselves are quite detailed with other faces and a lot of text. And there's actually uh, some artwork which is called the original artwork floating around on Reddit. I've got a feeling that it's not. I think it might just be fan created. But online you can see even with graphics and a different typeface with this, the, this setup that I was talking about and a black and white backdrop. This time period was interesting, particularly because it's when blogging first became influential. So at the time, it's kind of the first era that we see unedited leaked photos coming out and having a mass appeal or, or, or mass attention in a way that other photo shoots didn't have. And I think that coincides with this narrative about her age. You know, she was turning 50 with this album and 
you know, as we know with the press even today, but even more so in the past, there is a kind of misogynistic commentary around women and also pop music and women in, in music. And having these unretouched photos leaked versus what we saw in the actual album was sort of used as fodder to criticize her, I feel. I remember reading about that on blogs at the time. There are many setups, like I said, that aren't uh, seen on this artwork, but are worth looking online. You know, there's one with Madonna wearing white bandaged layers and white tights, these long lace-up boots, sort of shot in a kind of Irving Penn style. And that's not used anywhere. It's not used in the press or any other promotional materials. And then some other quite close-up headshots of her with very pale skin and hair and that's also not used anywhere else which which is interesting because i think there's quite a lot of unused imagery from this time so looking at the creative decisions the story originally goes that in fact there was a completely different creative choice for the album before they settled on hard candy and there's an interview that madonna did with rolling stone in 2009 in which she says I did a photo shoot with Stephen Klein for my last album cover, Hard Candy, and I painted my face black except for red lips and white eyes. It was a play on words. Have you ever heard of the Black Madonna? It has layers of meaning, and for a minute I thought it would be a fun title for my record. Then I thought, 25% of the world might get this, probably less. It's not worth it. It happens all the time because my references are usually off the Richter scale. Apparently it was Guy Osiri who talked her out of doing that original album artwork idea and, you know, reading it back again, I was thinking, do you, can you imagine in this time period having that as part of her catalogue in the place that we are today? I'm very glad that, that that's not the route she went down. I recently saw a conversation on Twitter actually about uh, artwork, Madonna artwork online and people's favourites and least favourites and so many people on that thread of conversation listed Hard Candy as their least favourite album cover. And although it doesn't deeply connect with me, I was sort of trying to reflect on what the creative decision making might have been at the time, why they chose the fighter theme, why they chose the title. And, and I was really thinking, you know, only six months after this album was released, she divorces Guy. And she's also in this world, like I discussed, of her being at the age that she was and trying to keep up the strength of her previous success for her last few albums. So it does make sense that she was maybe thinking, I'm going to be the fighter. I'm going to present myself as ageless. I'm going to be strong and almost aggressive. And I mean, you look at the lyrics and you can see that actually there was a lot more vulnerability from that time. Maybe this was just her way of coping and presenting her way in the world. But I feel like generally with this era, you really see that it's moving into a digital realm. We're no longer talking about film photography or the softness of that. It's very digitized and, and it, yeah, it's represented in these photos. I do have a soft spot for the subtlety and nuance of film. So, so like I said, this doesn't deeply connect with me, but you know, it's a choice. <laughs> so yes, Peter, it's, it feels like a confused release. Um, but the album was at one point called Give It To Me, which kind of makes sense of the whole fighter thing, because that was very similar to the title of an album that Timberland had done. They went down a different route. Why they chose Hard Candy, I don't know, but that then becomes very um, apparent on the, the graphic design. What can you tell us about that? I think once it became Hard Candy, it wasn't that the shoot didn't work anymore because you can see that there's a correlation, like hard and soft and sweet. I, I get that, but my gut has always thought you should have re redone the photo shoot. So the, the images that Jonathan talked about they're really cool. 
the texture and the background and the sort of billboard like posters with this very pale skinned Madonna with the, the black outfit. It, it has a, a really storyteller vibe about it. And I, I, I could see that that had a, a, a direction and a journey and was quite enjoyable and a little bit like Britney's circus where you hung lots of things off it graphically and that it would take you on a bit of a journey and sort of made more sense of this Madonna in the fighter role. The thing that's hardest about what they've retrofitted with the, the images in the background, they haven't bothered to recolor her. So it doesn't, it, what's a, a really arresting about it is that the two things do not seem to match. And that's your eye telling you that one thing is taken at one point and the other thing was put in afterwards. So we have very intelligent eyes. And the reason that I think a lot of people struggle to enjoy this album color is because your eye is constantly telling you that there's something wrong. So it, the image of Madonna is very cold and milky and white, but then the, if she was really in front of it, there should be elements of pink on her skin. So she should be picking up those colors and it, it, it just doesn't align. So it's, it's not a satisfying image to look at. And it's then that really big, bold type. It's a very cheap type face. It was used for boots meal deal. So it doesn't have great connotations. It's Helvetica rounded and it's, it's always like used as like a budget font to say like value. So it, it's somebody not really doing a very nice job of bringing it together. And it, it's again, it's the, the same team that have worked on it. So it's Stephen who did the photos, but it's Giovanni Bianca who's done the graphic design. I can see that originally in their heads, it would have been a really cool photo story book and that you'd have lived this life of a fighter and that they're going to give it to you. The using of the hard candy, like it's a bit exhausting. It's just page after page in the artwork of these close-ups of sweets. And it's not really got anything to do with Madonna. And it's not a very pop sugary album at all. So you sort of get this disconnect between the music, the concept, and then the Madonna that we're presented with. So it it's a bit of a mashup, but not in a satisfying way. It's almost like if they'd gone into it a and deconstructed it and messed around with it in the way that they did something like American Life where it became its own thing. But they've tried to keep the art direction from the original shoot, put a new background in, and then overlay some type. So I can understand why it does poll really low as favorite album artwork because it just hasn't had the love or the, the care and attention that some of the others have. I do think the meal deal would have been a great title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, the worst bit like Jonathan could probably talk about this a bit more the photos that you see of Madonna unretouched I'm sort of annoyed by that because of what should have happened on set so uh, the makeup is half-hearted the lighting is not is, is not in the right position so the, some of the photos that were released they the things that you should have done on set to get a good photograph were not taken care of. Well, what's interesting about that is, as we know from interviews with Madonna, she's very cautious about lighting, even even from ten years before this. And 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 like you said, Peter, you know, I've looked at this, especially now having the experience I've had as a photographer. And on set, it's not lit well. No. On set, it's it's either poorly lit or from the wrong angle. And and to pull back from that, you can see the retouching decisions that were made. You know, they have to blast it out to make it seem a somewhat flattering, which actually doesn't have a huge amount to do with Madonna and her age or anything like that. It's it's the lighting and the setup. And that's a very good point. And, and you said earlier about how these um, images that were untouched were used against her. And 
you know, how awful that is, because I don't think anybody would of any age would look particularly good with that lighting. And even the colored attention to the person you talked about, the unused bandage uh, shots, they are uh, pressing against her, her skin and her very toned body in a way that doesn't even flatter Madonna with one of the greatest bodies of all time. It, 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 it's, it's a real shame. It's almost I, as if they'd shot it with the intention that it would be so digitally enhanced that they didn't have to worry about the lighting and it's very flat. Well, that's what I thought about the more sweaty photographs. You know, it makes sense, the storyline of her having sweat, but, you know, as you mentioned about even the toned body, no one looks good sweaty, really. Very few people. And so it's, it's yeah, it just looks a bit unflattering. It sort of reminded me of, like, the character that she portrayed in Die Another Day video, but mm. it was done better there. So... It, the bandage photo, that was the one that I think dropped on, what, what was the hate website that the, was at its peak at that time? Just Jarrett now. Oh, right. Yes. The Spain. gossip one. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. Put that in later. That was the one that got shared around a lot. And I could look at that and think, well, that's, that's a stylist not doing their job. Mm. That's a wardrobe person not fitting it properly. And then the makeup artist hasn't done a great job. So for those things to have been leaked and for us to have seen it, it I think it reflected more poorly on the crew, not particularly mm. on Madonna. Mm. Well, I'm definitely a fan, as you both know, of waiting to see the final product. I don't really need to see the outtakes. And, you know, I can imagine with this setup with the bandage, you know, it could potentially, with the right styling makeup, look quite chic, actually. Agreed, yeah. So there's three singles from this, I think. Four minutes, give it to me and Mother's Away. In terms of the single artwork, there is a correlation. It just does tie on. It uses the, the aerial rounded font again. So first up, we have the, the four minutes cover. And strangely, it doesn't feel like it's a properly prose picture of Justin and Madonna. Almost like they didn't think to do that at the time. What's interesting about that is I think that photograph, having seen the original image, is just a behind the scenes photo taken from the video shoot. And it always surprised me that for a lead single campaign, and it clearly was the lead single that was being pushed, especially with a big budget music video like they did, that they wouldn't have had a set photo shoot. Perhaps it was timing, scheduling, you've got two big stars, of course, these things happen. But it's a very low quality photograph, which actually doesn't look bad the way they've made it black and white and high contrast. Give it to me. And I think it might be one of the first times the Madonna's done it, although it's very common now, where the video was a photo shoot and then the photo shoot got used elsewhere. Jonathan, you seem the person to talk to about that. So give it to me. Yes, exactly. It was a sort of playful way of showing a photo shoot and also the video at the same time. So we see Tom Monroe, a shoot of Tom Monroe's with Madonna being filmed as a video. And, you know, it sort of lacks a narrative, the the music video being a photo shoot. I think it's when having experience behind the scenes of a photo shoot, I'm sure, you know, the average person might think it's glamorous and fun, but as we all know, it ain't glamorous and fun. It's just people doing work. And, and so, you know, they've tried to make it this interesting narrative for the video, but the shoot itself, which was, like I said, shot by Tom and Roe, was ended, ended up being used as a lot of the promotional images for the campaign at the time. I think they did a tie-in with L, so all of the international L's had a variety of those shots running through. And I actually really like those photos. You know, Madonna looks quite soft 
the hair is a little different to the main campaign images and a lot of it's shot on film or on Super 8, which we can see in the music video quite clearly. And what I quite like about this is there's a, a much softer warmth to the photos, you know, in terms of styling, it's got a lot more topes and browns, there's a wicker chair. I understand it doesn't necessarily tie in with the idea of hard candy or this this fighting spirit, but just aesthetically, I quite like it. And and then the other element to this shoot is a quite high contrast black and white set of images, which has a kind of David Bailey feeling to them. And and I just think Madonna looks beautiful. Yeah, she looks stunning. I, I, until you said it, then I hadn't realised it's a David Bailey feel. Um, it looks fantastic. And probably mm. came from Tom, I imagine, being British, etc. I don't know. Yeah, and he does uh, reference or at least take inspiration from that quite 60s, um, almost timeless rock and roll iconography in his work. And, and that can be seen, you know, the wide brim hat and that sort of look that Madonna had. Peter, thoughts on the Give It To Me video and single cover? I like the fact that there was consistency between two, but the single cover's one of those ones that's a bit of a mess. It's seems to have pulled on a little bit of confessions typography at the top and then it's madonna and filters there's a yellow version of her a purple version of her and it's it's, it 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 doesn't really hang together as like a a nice image of madonna it's like three filtered versions and then again we've banged on the (laughs) the rounded font at the bottom i did like the 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 crossover and it was a, a nice multimedia experience to know that it was a photo shoot, a magazine shoot, and a video that then translated to the single cover. I remember watching, though, at the time and thinking, this is identical to the dance rehearsal scene in Hung Up. So for me, it was not enough time to recycle the same idea. So I remember just watching it and thinking, this is a black and white version of the Hung Up video. So I wasn't satisfied by it enough, but now that you've mentioned about that it going out over multiple different playouts it's that's quite an interesting multimedia thing which had completely missed me i think i've got more positive things to say about four minutes because it was such a epic big video um sets incredible like obviously an awful lot of money and that really weird effect with the the warped wall coming towards that's at, at that time was quite a hard technique to do so it's it's eating chunks out of things so you you go from what's real world to then these super overlaid cg renders so to do something like that on a music video budget it's it's film level animation and cg and they've done it really really well like i watched it this morning it's it's not perfect but it's held up better than i expected it to and the way that this lens wall morphs the footage underneath it's still really enjoyable and even just the dance sequence when you've got a dancer that can match madonna in justin timberlake you've got some great choreography and there's there's a moment in the video that i don't think they made enough of where they were both in their happy space which is when they're on the conveyor belt in such in the shopping super trolley in the supermarket and that's again it's back to that thing madonna and a prop she's always going to make it her own but to be able to see the two of them in synergy on this travelator it's but it's i think it's only like 10 seconds in the video it's a real shame not to have brought that into it the thing that i hate the most is that it's called four minutes but it's 405 in length so (laughs) bucks the hell out of me Um, but other than that i thoroughly thoroughly enjoy it so coming into the final single miles away now this is quite disappointing uh, from a photography point of view cover Slightly more interesting from a graphic design. And this is the one with all the visa stamps is, it makes the cover. I think it's when she was, she started the tour 
and it's, yeah. it correlates with the dates and the locations that she was going to be in. And I think as a story, like the, I, I have a soft spot for Miles Away. I, I really, really like the song. It's to me, it's what Sean Penn was to Death Do Us Part. It's the same thing. It's quite sad lyrical lines, but over quite a fast beat, so you don't get the time to think about it. And I, I like the fact that she's got two ex-husband songs. I think she, it did a really good job of explaining what it's like to live that lifestyle where it's impossible to keep a relationship together. So the idea that he would have been at home while she's having a passport stamped a hundred times as she travels with the tour, you really do get the idea that this person and this love affair is, it, it's on the rocks and it's miles away. And it, we didn't get a great video for it, but I think they translate that feel into it quite well as well. It reminded me of the montage bits in, in Bed with Madonna, where you're doing the travel bit. So there's the black and white moments, the stage moments, and you do, you get the departure lounges and the taking off of an airplane. So you do really get that idea that she is, not only is she mentally miles away, she's also on the other side of the world. And I, I think as a, a travelogue, it's just got a really nice feel to it. it I, it's, it's one of my favorite Madonna songs. So I, I have a soft spot for it, but it, it isn't well loved. And I know it's, it's a, a weak third single. It wasn't really pushed and it didn't get much sort of airplay either. Jonathan, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree because I think this is such a beautiful song. And, you know, if we look at Confessions, which obviously is an era that hadn't long gone, we got four singles and videos all the way to the end and and i felt like this was a sort of weak weak promotion for something which could be very very strong it actually almost passed me by I, you know i i didn't i didn't even remember seeing it much at the time being promoted i mean i have to say i do love a photo of madonna and i would have loved the cover <laughs> to be a photo of madonna okay. but yeah you know it is what it is but before we wrap up, I've got one thing to ask Peter, actually, which is your thoughts on the back cover of the album artwork, because the justified text, which is then not fully lined up to the last line and is also very hard to read, always bugged me. And I, and as a professional, I would love to know what your thoughts on it were. It's the same as, um, I have the same problems with it as I do bedtime stories. You've got to make it readable, haven't you? And when you do something like that, it's... It, it, but sometimes designers can be too clever and we need, that's why we need people to pull us in because it has to be readable, but it also has to look beautiful. So yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it, it's, it's been leaded out in the wrong places and then shoved together in like, so if you've got a long title, it, it just doesn't work. And I, I think the things that I've seen online, whether they're like fan made or whatever, but some of the ones I've seen out there are really nicely handled and there's a really beautiful quite beautiful one that someone's done with it as a poster from the original shoot and mm -hmm. i can see that that was that was a really nice direction and people could have had a lot of fun with like how that would have been done graphic design but once you've taken away the concept and the idea they've literally had to lay out that type in the best way they could and it's 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 not perfect <laughs> mm. Yes, I was thinking of the same, the, the artwork that I'm thinking of is done in the same font and it's sort of bleached out the posters on one side and it's very clear, distinctive text with quite an interesting font. Yeah, it, that, it, I'd love to know whether these things are real or not. There's no true way I've ever been able to find out. Please. <laughs> the only thing that I think makes me think it isn't real is because it doesn't feel like the style of Giovanni Bianco. It It doesn't his is quite a shiny glossy aesthetic and that does that feels more like music 
that it's more real world and textural. So I don't know. That's me, me imagining, but I might be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So further reading. So my first piece of further reading is from the Vanity Fair promotion from the time, which 2008 issue with Stephen Mizell behind the camera. I was in New York at the time and I bought it from a newsstand in New York and poured through the photo shoot. I loved it. Again, this is quite different to the Stephen Klein images in the fact that she looks quite soft. And the images, I think, probably are sort of referential to a Man Ray style of photo. It looks quite sort of early 20th century. And, you know, we've seen a lot of heavy retouching on photos photos of Madonna over this time, but I feel like this retouching is quite effective, you know, especially the shots on the inside rather than the cover image. She looks natural in her beauty and a lot of the photographs are kind of sepia toned. So there's a warmth to the images that I really like. At the same time, another image on the newsstands came out that I also bought, which was New York Magazine. And they did a story called The New New Face in which they took an image of Madonna quite close, which I think is probably actually just a sort of step and repeat photo from an event, like a Getty image bot photograph rather than a professional studio shoot. And they've drawn on lines to speculate on if Madonna has had plastic surgery and what she might have had done. And just having those two coincide was interesting to me. Then the final one to mention would be from Dazed and Confused in March, 2008 which is obviously quite a sort of fashion-led magazine. And it was a setup taken from this hard candy shoot, which wasn't used in the artwork, obviously. And it's Madonna corseted again in black with a towel around her neck. So you can see how it would kind of fit in with this theme. She looks very angular, very slim. And, and I quite like these photos, actually, because they've kept the original backdrop and there's a chair in some of the photos. It just feels a little more authentic and less processed with no, no fake cutout. There's a quote actually from that magazine, which I quite liked. So I thought I'd mention it here, which is Madonna saying, I think that life is a paradox and you have to embrace that in your work and your belief systems, you can't be a literalist. And that's the trouble that people always find themselves in. That's why people always hit a wall with any of my stuff, because you can't take it literally. I just quite like that from the time period. It's great. Peter, further reading. It would be the Sticky and Sweet tour book, which is probably a better version of what they intended to do with the album. It's a more realistic fighter. So she's still in that genre, but she's more like a Mel C, hard fringe and a little bit sweaty, a little bit like a Nike advert. And it feels, she's, she feels more comfortable in her own skin. It doesn't feel posed. And it's like when Madonna's taking on a role, it always feels a bit more convincing. It's a real action shoot. So the entire tour book is more or less this one photo shoot, but then there's loads of really nice textural stuff. So. It's got the boxing gloves close up and then it's got the, the ringside seats and things like that. So it's, it, it really brings to life this idea of like hard candy, even though it's sticky and sweet is the, the name of the tour. And then it divides um, the set list up into like round one, round two. So there's like lots of nice touches to like the idea of like a fighter in both corners, but it's, it's just a much more enjoyable thing to look at and again like it it probably was i can't find the name attached to it but i'm imagining it was giovanni again but it's just it's just a little bit more free and easy and i think would have been a better version of they probably got to do it again so it's like what what did we get wrong and we'll we'll fix all those things it's just way more joyous 
Mm, I think those images were by Tom Munro, who did to give it to me, like I said. And what I like about those photos is that the lighting is good. <laughs> they got it right. It, it feels like a Nikad. It's got that sort of next level to it. So, yeah, it's, I've, I've always really liked it and would have liked to have seen a bit more of that in the, the main campaign. To sum up, how, can they, how do you guys feel about it? I, I did listen. I've always... I've always liked it, but not for the songs that were singles. So there's some amazing Madonna songs on there, but I think it's a bit like erotica. It's she's worked with a few different people, a few that have worked and a few that haven't. But if you edited it by like a couple of songs and reordered it, I think it could be a really tight album. It just something like irresistible. Oh my God, the build on that it just, it keeps going. Like you, it takes you with you. And then like the junkie XL remix of four minutes, that is a phenomenal piece of dance music, but it, it didn't really get the sort of the, the play that it needed. It, it, the whole thing with that album, it felt like once she'd been derailed on what the concept was going to be, I think this was the last album that she was, supposed to do for warner so i, I think it was i'm going to get this out of the way and move on so i think that's why what jonathan said about the third single just being i'm on tour now i don't care just you, you can do what you want and this was her last contractual obligation so i, th I think it's rushed but i think th the heart of the album is actually quite strong jonathan Mm, uh, yes, I agree. The heart is strong and it does leave me a little torn because on a personal level, this was such a significant time in my life. I'd gone from being incredibly passionate about the Confessions era and absolutely loving her and, and being highly anticipating what was coming next. I was studying in New York at the time and I remember a billboard above Virgin Megastores on Union Square before I'd heard any music. And I was so excited for what was to come. And then there was a guy on the subway beside me listening to it on his iPod, which shows you the timing. And I could see the text on his thing. So I, I tapped him and said like, oh, how is it sounding? Is it good? Because remember, obviously no streaming. So I had to wait to buy the CD. And, and so I've got great memories of, of really embracing and devouring it. However, the style of music at the time was not my personal taste. I was a lot more aligned with like, being interested in the Pet Shop Boys and just a different sound, which Confessions aligned with in my personal taste and, and Hard Candy didn't. I wasn't so into that glossy R&B sound of the time. But there's great songwriting in there, you know, really great lyrics too in a lot of the songs. In the weaker moments, yeah, I don't go back to them so much, but there's, there's quite a few standout tracks that I think are, are really beautiful. And, you know, you can't fault the production. It is, you know, a, a very well done, produced, well produced album. I think it's the only time that I felt that she's followed something and not owned it or co-authored it. So I was in love with the Justin Timberlake album from the two years before mm -hmm. yeah. and future love sex sounds. It was such oh phenomenal and voices four minutes feel like they were on that album. And it's the first time I've ever felt that Madonna was a featured artist on her own track and four minutes to me was always a Justin Timberlake song that Madonna performed on. Hmm. And I think that's how it was presented and how it came across. And for it to be such a big American hit, I think that's why, because Justin was the face of it. And then he had his co-star, which happened to be Madonna. And that's how I viewed it when I first saw it. 
So my first inkling was, oh my God, she's, she's done it like she did with Britney. She's, she's done it. And I was like, oh no, this is her lead single. And it was all a bit confused for me. And it wasn't what I expected after Confessions. I know Madonna will never do what you expect, but we've always been quite lucky with whatever the huge album is. She then seems to stick sort of in that vein. And this was the first time that she did a full 360 or 180. And it's, it's very different to Confessions, but not to a European ear. So I think we'd had a real high point in the UK with her working with Stuart Price and it having that very sort of cool European and this is American and I, I'm with you. My ear does not lean to that sort of sound. On 21st of May, Inside the Groove is hosting a huge Madonna event at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London. Buy your tickets now and you'll have a full day of Madonna, starting with a quiz to win a place on the podcast panel, followed by a live deep dive into the Celebration album with me, Lucy, Peter and Jonathan, followed by a three-hour Madonna-only disco hosted by top DJ and Radio 2 producer Johnny California. And if that's not enough, the day will end with an exclusive live performance by singer Tom Aspel of his favourite Madonna tracks. Lucy will be signing copies of her book and there will be other Madonna merchandise available. So bring your debit cards. You'll need to buy tickets for the event. Head to insidethegroove.co.uk before it sells out. But before then, we're back to hard candy. And this highly acclaimed Sticky and Sweet tour began in Cardiff, South Wales in late August 2008 at the Cardiff Millennium Stadium. Now, I actually lived opposite the stadium at the time, having moved to Wales a little over two years earlier to work on the TV series Doctor Who, which is made in the Welsh capital. Madonna rehearsed for a week before the tour started, and I got to hear all the rehearsals as she insisted on having the stadium roof open. In fact, she was actually staying at the Park Plaza Hotel at the time when two of my closest friends got married there, and we saw her popping into a car on the way to her rehearsals on 17th of August as we were moving from the ceremony to the reception. They're still together, so that must have been a good omen. Talking of staying together, miles away... Well, this was the third and final song from the album, and for many, I know it's their favourite. It's got a delicious sort of Madonna, typical pop melody, and for her, of course, that biographical story and lyrics. It was released when Madonna was on the North American leg of the tour on October the 17th. Madonna's divorce from Guy Ritchie was announced only two days before the single's release, and that day, she dedicated the song to the emotionally retarded. Now, in a Canadian interview for Jam, Madonna talked a little about the process of writing songs for the album. She said, Everything that I wrote to either Justin or Farrell was always us sitting around playing with their ideas, concepts and phrases. So, a lot of times, one person would introduce the concept or a title and the other person would fill in the blanks, then vice versa. I collaborate with people in different ways. I either come up with an entire idea with all the lyrics written or, oftentimes, I hear music and just eight bars of music will inspire a lyric. Like when I first heard the music from Miles Way, I immediately started singing and the words came out. And I don't know where they came from, but I don't really question the creative process. It just happens that way it happens. Some months before her divorce was announced, Madonna had given a bit more detail about the song's lyrics and inspiration to the Daily Telegraph. She said, Miles Way is a song most people who work can relate to. If part of your work is travelling and the person you are also works and travels, you find yourselves separated a lot and it can be very frustrating. I'm an American, he, my husband, is British, and I have to come to America all the time, especially at the beginning of our relationship. That long-distance thing was very frustrating. I also think it's a lot easier for people to say things from a distance. It's safer. 
well, onto Miles Way itself, and we've got a multi-track to dissect. It starts, of course, with this choppy guitar, very Mirway sounding, really, and then into a beat. Very minimal R&B. And there's a human beatbox. I wonder if that's Timberland. Back to the choppy guitar again. And then of course Madonna's lead vocal. those backing vocals. That is of course Justin Timberlake. And here's the instrumental of the next verse. Now listen to the backing vocals again. A lovely distorted electronic guitar here. Drop the beat out. That's it for this episode. The next album to cover is, of course, 2009's compilation album Celebration, and we'll be doing that live in London. If you can't attend, you can, of course, hear the broadcast live, or, of course, on Catch Up, wherever you normally find this podcast. In the meantime, be careful and stay safe.